Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. Da Costa revels in Mansell-esque magic move magnificence. Verline's cape of good points, hope and fortune after shunt. Bizarre Buemi heatstroke antics. And red flag Farago shoots down Bird. Welcome everybody to the race Formula E podcast after a, another really good Formula E race. The race was in Cape Town. Antonio Felix da Costa won it. As ever, Sam Smith, the race's man in the paddock, is uh, joined by myself and Andrew van der Berg. And, uh, uh, well, a, a very different race to Cape Town, Sam, in terms of an event, but sort of equally as wild and good, I thought. Yeah, I, I thought it was actually better than Hyderabad. I, I was a little bit surprised that you rated Hyderabad so hardly, Jack, from the last episode, but this was a real race. This had everything. I mean, you had the great pretenders of Fenestras and Gunter at the start, their little controversy with the full course yellow. You had Cassidy, who at one time looks like he had it bought and paid for. And then you just had this fantastic duel between Vernon and Da Costa, which resulted in that epic uh, that epic move, which we'll come on to. But I just thought it had everything. A real pot boiler down to the last few laps and, and other incidents during the weekend. So we're not gonna be uh, we're not gonna be want for discussing lots of different topics today. I think I just thought that Hyderabad it had been a quiet start to the season. It had been okay. The first race in Diria I think was was, you know, pretty decent. But Mexico and the second race in Diria had been you know, about five or six out of ten. So I think Hyderabad, just the drama, is why I ranked it highly. But I'd actually had a discussion with Scott Mitchell Malm about this, and he was saying he wasn't sure whether Hyderabad was good because it was a good race, or actually just everyone crashed into each other and it was chaos. Whereas, Andrew, I think it's fair to say this was just a good race in Cape Town. Yeah, as we were discussing before we came on air, I genuinely had uh, race envy that I wasn't out there with you guys because not only did um, Cape Town look amazing from those uh, helicopter or drone shots or whatever they were, but what an event to be at. And I hope, given that it was on Channel 4 and whatever, that this might be one of those sort of seminal moments where the... And, and there still is. I don't know why these people who are determined not to like Formula E because they don't make any noise. I mean, God, how boring. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you could not argue that that was... If you didn't like that, then I would argue you don't like motor racing, right? If, if that move for the lead on the final lap didn't excite you, motor racing is the wrong sport for you. Um, and, uh, yeah, just brilliant. And I think we have seen now the, the racing that these uh, third-generation cars can offer. Um, they, there's... They're clearly, you know, not fully developed yet and we're a long way off their ultimate potential. But in terms of the, the type of racing that we can see, they work. You know, when you can have a last lap like that, you've got to say, you know, fair play. That That is uh, a real achievement. And hopefully we'll, we'll have a few more like that. What I liked about that overtake, Sam, was the Costa passed Vern for the lead on the, on the final lap was most great overtakes in Formula E are 
kind of breaking zone vibes. You know, you think of Sam Bird outbreaking someone around the outside or or one of Sam Bird's late dart moves to pass Vern for the lead in Hong Kong a few years ago. But they're all kind of slow speed, you know, clever overtakes. It's quite rare to get these brave overtakes, basically, which is what DaCosta managed to pull off. He was the only place to do it all the time. Yeah, it's a modern classic. I mean, this will be remembered for years and years and years. I thought it was very reminiscent of the Mansell Piquet um, overtake or the, the move Mansell made on Piquet at Stoke on in 1987, which is, you know, in the pantheon of legendary moves of all time. I walked the track on Friday and I can tell you that never in anyone's wildest dreams was that an overtaking position on the track. No way. It just, it was always going to be single file. You know, you might faint and you might look as though you're going to make it, but there was no way you were going to make it stick. For DaCosta to do that was exceptional and listen the purists are going to love this right but taking nostalgia out of it there is a there is a there is a persuasion where you could say de costa's move was as good as or if not better than mansell's all those years ago now i'm ready now to go to a social media safe house all right and uh, and lock the door because i know that people will disagree with that but genuinely i thought it was just magical what he did there people will say oh you know he had better energy than Verne and blah, blah. Well, that would be true in the perspective of a Berlin or a Rome where it's easier to overtake and he made the move. Here, with Verne especially, there was no way he was he should have made that move. Turn one, turn ten, yes, it was on. But here, he just got creative and got it done. And it was totally exceptional. Especially, as I said, for the win and to do it on a driver such as Vern, who, as we know, doesn't give up places easily, uh, just totally supreme. And I, I spoke to um, Antonio after the race, and he went through in a bit of sort of forensic detail how he built up to that position and how he made that move stick. I had no idea that place was an overtaking place, you know. I knew it was the area where we're lifting the longest. Yeah. And if you're energy limited... Um, that's where you're going to be lifting the longest. But going around the outside with the right-hander, like, I've never tried that before. And, and we've seen a few crashes this weekend where going offline can be can be the end of your day. Yeah. And uh, But I, I had to try. I couldn't sit behind him the whole time. And it was hard following him through uh, the high-speed corner, 8 and 9, and I was never close enough for 10. And he closed the door a few times, so I, I, I knew I had to surprise him. And... I made that one work, but then Jeff obviously knew about it, so he yeah. started defending into that one. Okay. Um, you could feel that just by foot. Yeah, yeah, look, I know the guy super well, and I knew the first time he, I was behind him and I was close, he defended it, and I, I knew he was aware that that was my spot. Yeah. Um, so I had to sell him a, a small dummy, and, and luckily it worked out. So, you know, people talk about body language of cars sometimes, and sometimes you think they're being a bit flippant and a bit nonsensey but you could tell da costa wanted that win like he wasn't he wasn't in the same way you didn't get that from cassidy when he was trying to pass Vern. you knew da costa was going to be going for something over the course of that those closing laps he wasn't here to to settle into second no and i think the fact that he'd done the move before then he'd had the the bodged not picking up attack zone and whatever and and, and had made it hard for himself um, I think made him all the more determined uh, to make it happen. And you're right, you know, you could see the body language of that car. That The driver behind that wheel was going to make a move. And 
I'd like, um, do you see Jeff's post where he put uh, one of those old um, mod scooters with about 20,000 mirrors on it goes in there, my car's going to uh, going to look at the next race. Um, and I believe him when he says he wasn't looking in his mirrors then, because I don't think he expected that move to be to be pulled off uh, as, as it was. Well, he, he, thought, he thought he'd covered it off, because he kind of covered the yeah. inside, didn't he? That was the thing. He, he, he thought he um, got it and, covered. And so for, for him to just see it through in that way, I mean, such supreme confidence and daring do and all of that, I mean, it, it was genuinely thrilling. And, you know, when, when it came to those final couple of laps and it was those two, you know, it's like, oh, here we go. You know that this is this is gonna be great. You know, sometimes when you 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 see, I remember in the old days, you know, when Ralph Schumacher's behind Michael Schumacher, it's like, ain't going for it. Nothing's happening here. You know, <laughs> put a cup of tea on. You know, this this is what's going to happen. Whereas this is like, ah, oh, what? Literally anything could have happened there. And the fact we got probably the greatest overtake in Formula E history. I mean, I I can't remember all of them, but it's certainly the one that's sticking in my mind uh, straight away. So yeah, just just superb. There was an extra sort of freeze on there as well, wasn't there? Because they were teammates for three seasons. And although they, I think they do get on, um, at times during that relationship, it was very strained behind the scenes. And uh, But it was great to see that mutual um, admiration, wasn't it, afterwards, where, where Jeff sort of said, well, listen, it was a great move and there was nothing I could do. But um, yeah, it's great to see that that battle ended the way it did because it could easily have ended up with both of them in the wall and a really messy end to that race but uh, yeah I mean it's just exceptional sporting drama and so Da Costa I mean he started 11th and I spoke to him actually before the race and said you know that was a that was a bit you know last race was a bit better he was like yeah but I got so lucky man I got so <laughs> I got so lucky because everyone just sort of crashed out the way and whilst that sort of happened here, it, it sort of didn't. But it wasn't the Verline carving. Th- he, he just sort of suddenly popped up there, Sam, having started 11th, coming through the field in a way he hadn't so far this season. Yeah, I think it's a combination of Porsche still having a, an advantage, although a reduced one from what we saw in Riyadh, thankfully for everybody, and, and De Costa finding his feet. I don't think it's massively enlightening from that point of view. I just think he's with a brand new team. Um, it's simply working with a new culture and then getting on top of all the practicalities, uh, such as the steering wheel, uh, how the team works and converses. Um, as a squad and on the radio how they converse on the radio just lots of little things which naturally take two or three races to properly to properly hone so he was always on kind of slightly on on the back foot but I think Hyderabad was exactly the kind of result he needed if although it was slightly lucky he needed to get some some big points just to add that last bit of uh, confidence to, to what he already has which is what we know he's a he's a race winner and a champion I don't think anyone would doubt the skill that he possesses so yeah in the race itself he he built it exceptionally well um, once he'd got past um, I think it was Tickton wasn't it and he, he was able to to really get on the back of um, sort of the Cassidy and Fenestras and Gunter group and then they two of those eliminated themselves or Gunter did before he got to the front it just it just fell for him and he capitalised on it. But Porsche still have an advantage. But I think the good thing for us is that DS were better over the bumps this weekend, last weekend. And that bodes well for a genuine title fight, I feel, between these two. Um, and obviously it's not too late for Van Dorn. Um, he could still get back into it, but he needs some big wins coming up. And then Jaguar, if they stop finding ways to self-destruct, then Jaguar could, could easily come on board as well. But it looks at this early stage that um, it's a Porsche DS 
title fight as it stands. But no no points for Verline, Andrew. No, and I was I was surprised given the situation he finds himself in that he made an error such as that. I mean, it's quite weird when you watch it because Boemi clearly does something he wasn't expecting, but he's in a really strange part of the track. You know, he's right in the middle when you would expect him to be further over um, to the right. And he locks up really early on. So Sam, did, as he said, where well, they had a braking issue because it, it seems to, to lock up way earlier than you would expect. And obviously at that point, he's, he's just a passenger, but it didn't look quite right to me. And also, it wasn't. It, we don't see a huge amount of lockups in the Gen Three car. Not like, not like we used to. Yeah, good point. What he told me, Pascal told me that what happened was he was using Buemi as a reference. And if you look at Buemi, he brakes ultra late, doesn't lock up, but is way too deep on the brakes, and he almost hits the back of Vern. And Verline using um, Buemi as a reference just completely loses his his positioning and uh, and hits the brakes locks up and just goes straight into the back of Buemi and he apologized to to Buemi and he apologized uh, to his team as well I mean I don't know it was just a, a lapse of concentration he became a dad a few days beforehand and I think you know I'm not saying that's a true factor in all this but I think sometimes it can it be it does make you slower though Sam <laughs> parenthood makes you slower it's a great racing cliche though isn't it but I, you know I think he it's easy to overlook how events that close to a race can affect athletes I just think it is and something that huge is bound to take uh, maybe take a partial eye off things and who knows how that plays out with uh, complete concentration it's hard to know I mean if, if you asked me to do something that stressful after attending the birth of my daughter I'd have been a complete mess on the floor and not capable of doing anything but um, yeah I mean I'm not saying that's a factor but it was a lack of concentration uh, nothing more he's made things harder for himself than needs be because Looking at the way that race panned out, he pro- he would have been in the top three, you would have liked to have thought. And then his championship position would be even uh, further enhanced from where it is now. Like I think I said in the, in the last pod, he just really needs to bring it home in the top four or five. And the championship was basically his. He's still got a really significant points lead, but his margin for error, you know, basically can't have another DNF now without it allowing everybody else to be really on his tail. And, you know, a first lap, collision like that when you're going for the championship it's, it's it, then that's not playing the averages in the way that he really ought to have been doing so yeah i was really surprised that, that he did that so he's 18 points ahead of jake dennis who's second and then verline is 30 points ahead of Vern in third and uh 34 points ahead of da costa in fourth so still as you say fairly hefty numbers but Vern is in that he wins and verline dnfs and he's only five points back. So he's, exactly. he's, he's in that sort of range. Um, Jake Dennis, quickly, Sam, because second place man in the championship and, and didn't score any points either. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, it was a tough, uh, tough weekend for Jake. He just didn't seem to, to get things hooked up. He got penalised in qualifying for bulking uh, Stoffel van Dorn's DS, um, which he got a, a penalty for, three-place grid drop. So that wasn't a great start. And in the race, it was another one of those where he made some progress um, and he was looking he was looking very dangerous. And then he he got a, a penalty for... You'll have to remind me, Jack, what was the penalty for? It was for... Well, that was the reason I asked you because I couldn't quite remember either. Was <laughs> How it? very good. How professional of us. Uh, <laughs> it was... Was it... Was it- it wasn't overpower it was for um it was for tires wasn't it it was for his tire minimum pressure oh yeah um, tire pressure too low which um 
oh god this is like the last episode don't I have to just like have a little nap now I'll go into Hancock's it was Ev- uh, Hancock's remote capabilities of measuring because what it was Evans who got done for overpower wasn't it that was that's Evans that's right yeah which yeah. was a slam dunk that was completely different right. to the Envision one from Hyderabad this was a team team yeah. anomaly um, Dennis is I didn't speak to Jake or, or Roger Griffiths afterwards but I think again I know this was discussed at the Fatama, the former teams and manufacturers meeting uh, earlier in the weekend, just to get clarity on it. Hancock, what I didn't know, and I don't think many people appreciate, is that now they can measure the tyre pressures in real time, um, remotely, which um, which I found really interesting. Actually, you'd imagine would actually open up a whole sort of smorgasbord of doubt on things because you know the the drivers are in, in different you know they're in green and yellow flag uh, racing there's obviously d- disparity between the shaded areas of track and so forth so it's actually something i really want to speak to to hancock about on how they achieve this but it was the penalty was given and and jake had to do a drive drive uh, drive through so that put him way back and he and he finished out the points and missed the again and missed the golden opportunity to reduce that points to those points to verline sebastian buemi tell me about his weekend how long we got can we do we probably reduce this to about half an hour i reckon if we're lucky <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's had some mad weekends in his career hasn't he uh sebastian but oh this, yeah this Montreal is right season up there. three i have to go something to be more mad than that this is this is right up there let me give you the headlines sunstroke on thursday legal fight and shunt on friday shunts in qualifying and the race the aforementioned verline incident not his fault obviously and then an epic fifth uh, sorry last to fifth in the race so yeah, not not much to unpick there. I mean, the the referring to the legal issue that goes back to that um, that subject at Hyderabad with the the overpower spike, and I know that Vida B has been researching that and wanted <laughs> extra detail about that because he found it so fascinating. I won't get into that, but what happened was very quickly they did a petition of review to appeal. It got thrown out. Matters closed. The where the whys and wherefores of that are, are immense. So you'll be able to read about that in the coming days on the hyphenrace.com. So we'll leave that one there before V2B slips into a coma. Um, the Sunstroke, he was doing some PR events for Envision on the Thursday, which included a boat ride and doing something with some rugby people down in Cape Town. And um, he got Sunstroke and he was extremely ill that evening. Got up Friday, was in his words yeah poorly and then had that accident um had that accident big accident which the team worked throughout the night to to get his car ready for the friday and then he had an accident qualifying um and uh, but still started in in the top eight and got through to the to the jewels and then had this burn from the stern race where he recovered from the verline incident to finish a terrific fifth fantastic race i think but, the burn from the stern was the heat stroke wasn't it <laughs> it could have been, it could well have been i mean yeah he was he was really rough and um you know i don't know if there was a doubt whether he could race but i think if you'd have asked him on um the early hours of friday morning i think it was looking you know not particularly good for him but he he fought back and uh, yeah i spoke to seb after the race and he went through some of his uh, memories for this very busy weekend with us I had a massive sunstroke on the Thursday. A massive what? Sunstroke. Really? Yeah, I went. I had two activities. I couldn't wear my cap. Massive. What are you doing the football or rugby thing? Yeah, the next day we went on the boat. You know. Felt safe. No, but after I got back to the hotel, I was totally red. I threw up all night. Didn't sleep. Couldn't sleep. You said I had. 
Friday with the Sean directly, but I, I was totally, f totally, totally. F like I was, you know, I was cold and Shivering, hot, and yeah. yeah, like, and then, and then the whole Friday I was. F and obviously I had the shunt, didn't drive. Then today uh, I had only one set of tire because the two tires yeah. were, were yeah. So with one set of tire, you you compromised. Yeah. Compromising qualifying, compromising free practice because at some point they're too hot, you know. Yeah. Then I got taken out in the race. So in the end, I would say P5 is good. It's just a, just hard to digest the 15 points in India and a bit the missed points today because I feel like today I could have done better. Yeah. Buemi's one of those where, if results had gone a little differently, he 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 could be ahead of Dennis in the championship, right? Like if if he doesn't get wiped out at the start in Cape Town and doesn't hit the wall and doesn't have the uh, the disqualification or the time penalty in in Hyderabad, is he in championship contention? V to B. I mean, he isn't right now, but he's thirty nine points behind Verline. But if things start to come for, together for Buemi, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd hesitate to say, oh, yeah, he's he's in the title fight. But you can see a couple of wins coming his way. And then the whole picture has changed completely, isn't it? So um, it's nice to see the, the uh, Bohemian Renaissance and, and him, you know, uh, really rediscovering that form of old and, and having those, uh, frankly, chaotic weekends as well. I mean, it, like <laughs> I say, it's, it, it's almost like Gen 2 didn't happen. It's just it's all the tropes back from the uh, the first yeah. car now. Um he seems to be driving well. He seems to really like uh, life in his new surroundings. Um, I've I got to be honest, when Sam uh, WhatsApp me after the race going, boy, me fist was like, no. You know, what, what, <laughs> well, what, he was like 15th last time I looked. So, um, yeah, that, that last lap... Um, I mean, obviously, we had that amazing um, fight for the lead, but there were so many other things going on behind. It was almost impossible to keep uh, track of all. Is, is there any footage? I'm sorry, I'm probably going off route. Is there any footage of Fenestras hitting the wall? Because he, he just seemed to just drop out. I couldn't quite work out what happened there. Well, so we'll 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 move on to that. There is footage of it. it ne we never we didn't get time to play it out on Channel Four, to be honest, because by the time the race had finished and we spoke about all the, you know, stuff at the front didn't actually get time to, to play it out. But uh, basically, I think Cassidy hits Fenestraz into the into the barrier is the long and short of it. But no oh, wow. penalty or anything, Sniffer. And I, I think I, I saw quite a lot of arguments with some Nissan people and some FIA people, which I presume was about that. Yeah, it was getting a bit tasty afterwards. I spoke to both of them, actually. Um, no surprise there were differing views on, on how it happened. Um, Fenestraz was adamant that, that Nick had him in the wall um, on the last lap there. Uh, Cassidy, I mean, don't forget they're, they've got history. These two, they're old um, Super Formula um, rivals, and I, I, I just hear from various people who were in and around Super Formula that they, you know, they, their relationship was cool, let's say. And actually, Fenestras on the radio mentioned something about it, saying, "Oh, you know, it's the same old thing since uh, from Super Formula or words to that effect." Mm. Cassidy interestingly said that Fenestras moved under braking, um, which we saw a lot of last year. Obviously, you know Nick De Vries was one of the the uh, the keen perpetrators of that uh, style of racing. Um, obviously, I haven't seen it, Jack. You've seen it. I don't know if that 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 would come into what uh, Nick described there, but Fenestras obviously denied that he'd done that. Um, so it's hard to say without seeing the footage. Um, yeah, I've only seen one replay of it to be honest, and I was and I was doing something else at the time because it it was on a different footage feed basically long story short yeah but uh 
it'll I'm sure it might go out on the on the socials at at some point. But it was again, I think Fenestras he's got to be one of the most popular kids in the in the paddock. Everyone was so happy for him when he took pole position. Apparently when he took pole, he then and got given the pole position trophy. He then politely asked, um, do you mind if I keep this? <laughs> and Julius <laughs> Bear were like, no, no, yeah, 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 it's yours. You can take it. Oh, thank you. Thank it. you. Thank you. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he's such a lovely guy, isn't he? And uh, I think he's been really, really great this season. Uh, you know, he's made mistakes, uh, made a made a big mistake in Mexico with the, with the energy. Uh, but his lap was sensational. I have to be honest here. And VW, you might want to dock my, um, my massive salary for this. But... Um, I missed his lap because I was in the paddock chasing the Mahindra story, which obviously Probably broke just before, <laughs> just before, and, and I missed the lap. So um, I saw him afterwards and had a, a very brief chat with him, and um, obviously he was absolutely delighted with it. And I, I'm told that he was um, he was quite lucky because in the group stages, which I don't think anyone picked up, he actually glanced the wall pretty hard. And I think turn three, I might be wrong, but he clattered the wall on his group lap and then just and, and got through, obviously at the top of the top of the timing screens. And from there, he built through the the jewels and and did that exceptional lap. So fair play to him. You know, he's he's a hot. He's going to be a hot property, I think, throughout the season. He hit the wall in. Um he hit the wall in his quarterfinal duel as well. And there's some amazing, again, we didn't get the chance to, to play this out, but he hits the wall at the final corner on the exit of turn 12. And he comes on the radios. Like, oh guys, I hit the wall. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so annoyed. Blah, blah, blah. And they go, no, you're still through. And he's like, what? Ah, okay. Really? So that, that, that's the one that I described. So he didn't, it was, yeah. Yeah. I, because I was chasing my tail and several Mahindra tails at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was the quarterfinal. Right no, it's fantastic. Groups. So, um, Max Gunter. Well, let's, let's talk about, uh, Maserati MSG because again, they obviously have the, the very similar powertrain to DS, and they too looked like they were sort of getting towards it. Gunter was running at the front, wasn't he, in Hyderabad before he got caught up in the in the Jaguar carnage, and and was again right there at the front. I had to look bef- before I came on this pod. They've scored three points between Gunter and, and Mortar. It, I, yeah, it seems to be one of the quickest cars. I mean, like um, Sam said earlier, you, I think you got Porsche and DS at the front but then you know alongside Jags and Nissan maybe I think you've got Maserati and very much in that next group three points it's unbelievable you know the amount of um issues and uh bad luck I suspect is probably a little part of it but you're right you know he, he Gunter was showing some really good pace there but unforced error to hit the wall and uh, and damage the car like that so you suspect at some point it will click uh, and things will come uh, good for them. But, you know, there aren't that many races in a Formula E season and you can't afford to just uh, burn four of them without really getting any results. And they're both hitting the wall, Sam, at the moment. Yeah, which isn't the ideal way to go racing, is it? I mean, uh, yeah, Mortar especially has been um, erratic uh, this season. Uh, anything that can be hit, he seems to hit it. And he did again in qualifying, obviously. And... Um, He's given his team a lot of work to do and when there are so few spares and they're still finding their feet with this car and, 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 um, to, to have three points between two drivers after five races 
is disastrous. I mean, uh, certainly James Roster in the car that was quickest in preseason testing. Yeah, and it's a quick car. You know, I mean, Moltara at uh, Hyderabad showed it was quick, and and so did Gunter here. Did a terrific job, and was don't forget <laughs> leading the race. I mean, it might have been through um, illegal oh, means, yeah. but he got into the lead for a few laps at the start, and and actually. He would have got a, you know, he was given a penalty anyway, so he was never going to finish in the top ten probably. Um, but then he made his mistake, and uh, and the race was ended too. So I, I, that manoeuvre. So what happened was the full course yellow came out. There's a five, four, three, two, one. To you hit the, you know, you got to go down to the the relevant speed, um, and Fenestras smashed the brakes on in front of him, and and Gunter took had to take evasive action. So I've got a little bit of sympathy. I know it's black and white, and he was always going to get a penalty, but I've got some sympathy there for him because what's he going to do? Hit the back and hit the back of Fenestras and wipe them both out, or miss him and and go through and go past him? Um, you know, yes, he could have relinquished that position, and they did ask the FIA, but didn't seem to get clarity on that. So a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a messy one, but I do have some sympathy for Max on that one. Um, but obviously it's hard to have sympathy when mistakes are made every, uh, every other race. And, and in Mortara's case, pretty much every event now he's, uh, he's hit something. So yeah, I spoke to James Rossiter, the team principal of Maserati MSG afterwards, and this is what he had to say about his weekend in Cape Town. From a team side, I mean, uh, I couldn't be more proud of, a, of the team. They, they put, you know, we put race cars out there today that were in the top two in every single session. We had a lot of speed this weekend. We've been building on that from Mexico. Uh, you know, Mexico really struggled. We built forwards for Saudi. We took another big step forward in terms of performance in Hyderabad. And here we had, honestly, really cracking speed. It was uh, really impressive what the guys were doing. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, uh, unfortunately, we had uh, we had two human errors today, and um, and we paid the price for it. And you no, know, we're going to regroup. We're going to we're going to keep working hard. We're going to come back even faster in Sao Paulo than we were here, and we're going to try and put some cars well into the points. Another tough weekend then for. James Rossiter as as team principal, and it's it's kind of a similar story at Jaguar, isn't it? Where they are sixth in the team's championship, Bird is eighth in the standings, Evans is twelfth, but that is not their pace position. V to B, is it? Like I, I think we can be kind of fairly confident on that. Oh no, it's miles away from what the potential uh, pace of that package is. Absolutely miles. I mean, obviously Bird was incredibly unlucky um, with that accident that. that that uh, befell him um, with having the abandoned car on the track and him crashing into it and damaging the chassis enough for him to not take the start of the race. And um, I, I really can't even contemplate getting into uh, the uh, the overspiking of the energy that got um, Evans the pen. I can almost feel myself falling asleep talking about it. Um, <laughs> but again, you know, they, they have got to start putting these weekends together and getting the pace of that car uh, has to to the finish with the results that it deserves you know that they it's clearly one of the better packages on the grid they've got one of the best driver lineups they've you know all the elements are, are, are there but they've you know these they keep on tripping themselves up or being tripped up i think you know that there is bad luck is playing more of a role in um their underperformance maybe than um uh, maserati that we were talking about earlier but 
they're still leaving an enormous amount on the table and you know formally is pretty unforgiving like that um if you if you don't you know take the results when they're there you could never be guaranteed that somebody else won't have got on top of their package and you get shuffled down the order you know as the season develops especially with this new car and and you know when we start getting to more familiar tracks i i expect the the uh, the pack to close up and then who knows what um you know where you're going to be you only need a a bad draw in qualifying and you find yourself uh, at the bottom reaches of the top 10 they're, they're 82 points behind porsche in the standings mitch evans is 66 points behind pascal verlein um and evans in particular i mean sympathy for bird obviously for what happened in qualifying but mitch evans he's been wiped out by his teammate and then he's had uh an error a team error through the overspike um, in two races, that's really super hard to get your head around and to sort of rebuild. But luckily, they've got what a month now to Sao Paulo, where he can they can all look into it and, and try and stop some of these self-inflicted errors. That's for sure. So uh, yeah, difficult. He's times, led two races this season. Yeah, and he's twelfth in the championship. And he's got a pole, and he's got very little to show for it, which must be just enormously frustrating. I mean, I think had it not been for that um, penalty there, I th- I'm pretty sure that Evans would have been in that mix with De Costa and Verne at the end. And, um, you know, he had another potential, at the very least, top three, possibly more, snatched away from him. Um, but, yeah, James Barkley was very upfront with me after the race, said it was a team error, and they've got to just, you know, stop these things from happening to, to try and release this potential that they have in this um, in this car, in this package. So hopefully they can, they can do that immediately in, in Brazil. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. Is versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the Commuter Collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The Commuter Collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Bird in qualifying then, we mentioned it a moment ago, but he ends up in the in the barriers. It 
Well, you explain it, Sam. Um, okay, so Ed- Edo Mortara, this is in the group qualifying, Edo Mortara, Mortara crashed at turn, the exit at turn nine. Um, I actually saw the indentation of his car uh, getting my Uber to the airport um, <laughs> on, on their Sunday. Uh, yeah, it was a big shunt. You know, he, he really had a, a big a big snap. He just had a big snap of oversteer, went straight into the into the wall, came to rest. Um, the, red, the, the red flag came out pretty promptly in terms of it being on the screen. Uh, session red flag so just to explain in qualifying they generally don't use yellow flags they use just a straight red and that is to make sure it's fair for drivers that have their lap spoil that they can essentially stop the clock and come back and, and have another crack so the red came out unfortunately the physical red flags on the track both via the uh, flashboards and the old school red flag there was a lag now some people are saying um, 18 seconds some people are saying 15 seconds conservatively it was at least i think 11 or 12 seconds lag between those red flags coming out so the drivers behind didn't have any warning the two drivers that passed the scene before the physical red flags came out were max gunter his own teammate who i think was within 15 or 20 centimeters from having an airplane crash because he was so close to hitting Mm. mortara at about what, 130 miles an hour? Yeah. I mean, that wouldn't, that wouldn't have been pleasant if, if he'd have been the other side of that 30 centimetres or whatever it was. Very close. And then behind him, Sam Bird came around the corner. Now, it looks like, Sam, what happened is that he got a, a key input in his radio, which I presume was from Scott Elkin saying that there was a red flag. And this... It's what we hear on the TV coverage, yeah, right? I think yeah. it's the same thing as, as what you hear on the TV when exactly. we get a Scott Elkins radio message. Yeah, so that disturbed him. He lost the car. He hit the wall in a pretty similar manner to Mortara. And then he ricocheted off Mortara's, Mortara's car. And effectively, both of their weekends were done, although Mortara did get to start from the pit lane. But then the classic rebuilding and it not working happened in the early stages of the race and he was out. Bird was completely finished. Obviously, in his mind, he was completely screwed over. I think just to sort of stand back and look at the whole picture, it's very clear that there shouldn't have been that lag in the red flag process. And that's really concerning because, you know, it could have been a much worse incident where where someone was hurt uh, there because hitting stationary cars is obviously pretty pretty grim at the best of times. It was it was evident that Scott was, was unhappy with the way that that played out because you heard him on the radio sort of god yeah i think he said god damn it or something and and you know no one wants to see this kind of thing james barkley and i'm sure james rossiter too had conversations with the fia about how they can how they can just streamline this and make it bulletproof as much as they can and not have these lags because ultimately sam bird's non-start was because that the procedure didn't go as it should do and i think at you know again at world championship levels this sort of thing shouldn't really be happening but it seems to happen in one stage or other with sporting and technical incidents uh, fairly regularly in formula e, unfortunately as you say there's there's they, they they withhold the yellow flags in in qualifying because as you say if there's a crash they just throw the red flag but you and all the dr- teams know this, and all the drivers know this, and it's a and it's a well known thing. So if Jaguar say, "Oh, there wasn't a yellow flag," well, te- you know, there there wasn't meant to be one. But I do wonder if maybe going forward, it's something like you 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 still throw the red flag, but maybe you can still have a yellow for where the accident is, or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like you can you, you still yeah, it's an instant red flag, but something to warn of where the and Scott Elkins came on the radio as you say to warn Bird where the 
crash was. So it was a bit that sort of not ideal, perfect storm sort of vibe. There's a slight extenuating factor, which is that the GPS wasn't working. And this has been a problem throughout the year that not many people are talking about, that the GPS is intermittent. Now, why that is, you know, I presume it's because it's a built up area and there's other interference. But, you know, in this day and age, shouldn't there be a, a suitable backup? What, what I don't quite understand, and this is no criticism of Jaguar, but it's just generally throughout the grid. They've got these fantastic displays on their on their dashboard. Um, shouldn't there be a function where if it's a red flag from race control, that there is an immediate red flag on the dashboard that comes up, and then the driver knows instantly. I think ultimately this was a combination of the process not working correctly with the lag of the, the showing the red flags, plus also just the fact of where Bird was on the then The fact it was that corner as well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's... it's I, they, they'll learn from it. I think there needs to be a, a slightly refined process, but the, there was a kind of perfect storm of where Bird was on the track. But you're going to get that. You know, you've got 12 cars in a session on a circuit that's barely two miles long. You're, you're going to get these situations. So that then you have to think, well, you know, how can we better, you know, get a better system in progress? Because ultimately, two drivers' weekends are ruined. Okay, you know, there's some culpability on Mortara's part because he shunted the thing in the first place. But <laughs> it's it's a big it's a big um, it's a big penalty, isn't it? To have for Bird. I mean, I've a lot of sympathy for him. And obviously, the irony is now because he didn't start the race, he has to take his Hyderabad penalty at Sao Paulo, which oh. is a massive dollop, a massive dollop of rock salt in a in a fairly open wound still. So, yeah, I mean, the, we could go on about that, but. I, that just seems wrong to me, doesn't it? I don't see the justice in in that. Um, uh, basically, an accident not of his making, and he's still penalised just because he couldn't start a race. I mean, it's black and white in the rules, and they have to accept it. But yeah, it seems um, there's there's elements of injustice. Let's say in that. Any thoughts on the the qualifying situation, V to B? Um, well, I think you know, um, Bird having to take that penalty in Sao Paulo is feels incredibly harsh <laughs> um look i it's one of those um situations where they they tried to do the best to make sure that the the balance between running time tv time and uh, you know effective uh, safety of the drivers is, is balanced up but i i don't understand why there would have been such a big delay between the physical and the uh, uh, uh digital flags but you know it's uh, you just have to move on and learn from the mistakes, but we said that seems to be quite a lot of times that we say that in this podcast this year. I'm not quite sure why that is. Well, someone who needs to work from their mistakes, learn from their mistakes, I should say. Mahindra withdrew from the whole event. A problem with the basically the rear wishbone was flexing and braking, and that's what caused Degrassi to stop in uh, the one of the free practice sessions. And that's what I think that was Van der Linde's problem as well. He thought he'd tapped the wall and just broken the rim, but actually, it was it was the suspension as well. I think on on that one sniffer. Well, I asked Fred Bertrand um, this on Saturday, and he said that Degrassi's stoppage was actually software related. Oh, so take his take him for his word at that. Um, the explanation was that it was obviously it was a safety um, withdrawing was a safety decision, and from what I know, it was the only decision to take. It was a little bit woolly, the explanation as to what happened, but obviously it's related to the rear suspension, which is one of the areas that the teams have freedom in, in terms of 
um, designing them. So it's a Mahindra-designed rear suspension, um, and it was flexing. I don't think there were breakages. I don't know that as fact. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Van der Linde, yeah, Van der Linde did stop, didn't he? And I never got to the bottom of that. And I think, obviously, apps have to go what with what Mahindra say. Interestingly, um, Lewis Butler, who's the designer of the Mahindra hardware um, that is free for design in this kind of spec specish series um he was doing a lot of work with apps he's i don't know if he was on secondment but he was quite often in the app pit this season and i i've i've been given information by a few people and and this is unsub, unsubstantiated that they had similar issues or issues around the rear suspension in the verano test which was in um, september now if that's true obviously They've had some time to look at their package and this this potential weakness. And if that is the case, it seems strange that they get to a notoriously bumpy track or what they anticipated anyway would have been a, a difficult track at Cape Town. And all of a sudden it's flexing and they have to withdraw from the entire event in addition to the apt customer cars. And it just seems fairly remarkable to me. Presumably it's a homologation issue, right? In that you can't, you can't just change that part. We had it with uh, was it was it uh, Maserati's drive shaft a few um, no what were they called Venturi's drive shaft a few years ago. Yeah. Where, but they couldn't make a change because of the homologation. They had to get special dispensation or something like that. I'm sure happened. Well, Verano test was September, which would have been pre homologation anyway. So they would yeah, have had true. time to, to change. Uh, but then it's all to do with uh, castings and tooling and, and if they can do it effectively. But, you know, they, they've potentially got that problem now. If they can't rectify this problem, so they'll go back, they'll do FEA, finite element analysis, and they'll do all this kind of stuff on the car, and they'll make a decision on whether they can beef up what they have. Uh, and I'm told that there's an, an element of titanium in their design as well, which I don't think a lot of the other teams use, but I'd, I'll have to sort of double check on that the next race they will they're facing a real dilemma if they have to change the design and re-homologate their car could they miss sao paulo i I asked that question um and it was dismissed um that they would find a solution and actually when you think about it being lucas degrassi's home race i wouldn't want to be the person telling degrassi that he's gonna miss sao paulo would you (laughs) uh just don't fancy that so no but unless unless the the piece has been changed how can they race, right? You know, they're, they're going to... Well, they, they can re-homologate. So they can re-homologate. If they change design, they can re-homologate. And then the question is, what sort of penalties do they take for the re-homologation? Yeah, but, if, but also if they, haven't got, if they haven't got time to re-change it by Sao Paulo. Exactly, yeah. Well, you, you say the, you know, you'd say a redesign, the tooling, the manufacturer and the re-homologation... I would think that's going to take more than three weeks, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, they are in uh, yeah crisis mode at the moment. And to withdraw from an entire EPRI, well, that, that manifests itself as a crisis, doesn't it? And I mean, it's so rare um, yeah. that that happening. I remember there, there was that time when Cyber pulled their cars out of the Brazilian Grand Prix because the rear wings were breaking. And I think last year in World Touring Cars with Lincoln Co., withdraw because the tyres were blowing or something but it's so mm. rare for in whole teams like individual car if it gets broken down enough parts or whatever but for a whole manufacturer to pull all its cars it's really really rare yeah it is and I you know I I looked at the apps guys and the person you feel for in this most I mean feel for everyone no one wants to see four cars pull from a race but 
imagine Kelvin van der Linde telling him um, at his home race, and probably the only time, potentially the only time that he's going to race at the Cape Town E Prix, probably. Um, and he, he didn't even get to start it. I mean, that's just heartbreaking. And ironically, in free practice too, he was he was pretty decent. You know, he was putting in some good times. So it's it's a real odd one. I think there's more to come on it, but they were very um, economical with the detail. Let's say when I spoke to them to, to Fred Bertrand, and um, but ultimately to give them credit, they made a decision based on safety, which should be an easy one, of course. If there's any doubt as to the safety of a car on a critical area like the rear suspension, you've only got one decision to make, especially on these, you know, some of those corners, they, kinks they were taking at 130, 140 miles an hour. You, you, can't, you can't race with a, a, a car that's doubtful on, um, on its reliability from that point of view. So, yeah, they, they, um, they made the right decision, but obviously it's a one which could have serious ramifications for, for the upcoming races in Sao Paulo and beyond. Well, that covers off pretty much, I would say, the uh, the, the Cape Town E-Prix. Other than, well, yeah, fantastic event, 25,000 people in attendance. Are we, are we, what, what are the chances of going back, do you think, Sam? Well, this is Formula E, so it's 50-50 probably. <laughs> You'd like to think, wouldn't you, that this would be a staple? Oh, I hope so. I feel like I really want to go. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a case of pinotage with your name on V2B at the Cape Town. Uh, Everyone hopes, don't they? It was such a success. Everyone hopes that it's going to become a staple of the calendar. I really hope it does because it's a fantastic city, great atmosphere, great fans, um, and it produced a fantastic race. And it'd be such a shame not to. But it's not like uh, it's not like Hyderabad where you came on this pod afterwards and were like, "Oh, that might be the only one." You you weren't hearing any rumours of that stuff. Of course, I was. <laughs> these rumours are these rumours circulate around every new Epre. What's the deal? What's the local promotion? <laughs> I mean, interestingly, the local promoter was extremely quiet at the weekend. Very little media. Didn't see them in the media centre. No roundtables. And then you think, well, why is that? I mean, why is that? We don't know. But Because well, uh, there were lots of people there. Uh, you know, it looked sold out from what I could see. What, what, were, yeah, the, what were the ticket prices? Were they reasonable? Uh, I don't know. I tend to get a pass for free, to be honest with you. Um, I'm very, I'm, I'm very fortunate yeah, on that. Yeah, God, you do ivory tower <laughs> yeah, exactly. media types. So no, I, d- you know? <laughs> I don't know how much to it. No, because often you find out, you know, like um, it's Seoul, where it was like about ten years' wages and your firstborn child or whatever for the <laughs> the, the, the ticket cost. But I just, I, I, you'd like to think that on what was it, twenty thousand, twenty one thousand, mm. something like that, that that you know that is a sustainable race in all in all the formula ease meanings of the word yeah um and south africa is you know it's one of those countries where there is a you know a a massive amount of motorsport following that's completely underserved by the international racing community the couple of um uh a1 gp races there was a phenomenal attendance you know and obviously back in the in the 70s they they had their own domestic f1 uh, series that's how popular the sport has been out there and obviously there's there's still a big chunk of uh interest in it now so I, re- I really hope that that was enough i noticed they didn't have a title sponsor which is, i guess is a a little bit of a concern but hopefully the uh the local government would have seen all the people it brought in and you know might help out if necessary yeah fingers crossed uh any news sam there is some news yeah so and Andre Lottery is going to miss the Jakarta Epris in early June. He is prioritising his 
preparation for the 100th anniversary race at Le Mans. So he'll be racing in oh. the, the Porsche 963 um, LMDH car there. So it's not been confirmed by the team yet, but we've run a story this week whereby it's just confirming that the Lotterer won't be in the Avalanche Andretti car. The presumption, and I think it's 90 five percent sure that david beckman will make his formula e debut alongside jake dennis at the team um which will be exciting he'll obviously get a chance at berlin on the rookie test day on the monday after the berlin epris to to fill in but this was always going to be the case because lotterer's factory porsche deal um that specifically states that he will do the endurance um endurance racing if there is a clash and as we all know there's always some kind of clash between Formula E and uh, and WEC or other sports car series so that one will happen and then um, yeah just the latest on Gen 3.5 potential uh, there was a meeting on the Friday at Cape Town talking or discussing what might be the future of this car and the car beyond it in Gen 4 so lots of interesting feedback from that I think it was the first serious look at Gen 4 which people in their minds think oh it's miles and miles away actually they're going to have to start putting the tenders out for this at the probably at the end of this year or preparing for it so it's imminent and then obviously there's the Gen 3.5 is there going to be a fresh tyre compound is there going to be uh, a element of all-wheel drive to the cars for next season? Uh, sorry, for to 2025, rather. And then how does it all fit in with the financial regulations? Um, you know, can the teams afford it within the, the framework for the financial regs? So, yeah, lots of further meetings to come on that. But um, you'll be able to read on the hyphen race com this week some of the drivers and team principals opinions on potentially the direction that formerly should be going in the near future. Well, you'll be able to read all of that on thehyphenrace.com. And of course, there'll be coverage of the first Formula One race of the season this weekend in Bahrain. Formula One podcasts coming out. And there's also the MotoGP podcasts and all of that stuff too. Uh, make sure you subscribe to anything you're interested in. Keep your eyes on thehyphenrace.com. And well, we've got a bit of a break now, haven't we? We've got a, what is it, like a month until we're back after Sao Paulo? Something like that? Yeah, a month. But we can do a envision legality and um, detail look at their um, legal um, documents if you want, V2B. Between that, do a special, two-hour special. Fancy it? It sounds great, especially if we can get into the battery stuff again as well, because I really miss that. This yeah, ab- absolutely. I've, I've been struggling to get to sleep lately, so uh, let me know <laughs> when that is. And I'll, uh schedule my day around okay fine we'll record it at 10 o'clock in the morning and you'll just like sleep all day right thank you as ever to Sam and to Andrew thanks for listening guys and we will speak to you after the Sao Paulo E-Prix in a few weeks time The Athletic